Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We're going to get to your phone calls. We're going to get to your tweets. So today is an off day for the Giants. They had three straight padded practices. They now have an opportunity to regroup. You have an opportunity to regroup as well. I am so down. I can tell. No practice today, folks. None. <laughs> well, the don't field be that depressed. is empty. Yes. But that's good. You could have your Nike walk. I already did my five this morning. Well, you could do another one. I could, and I might. See? It's a nice day. It's it supposed to rain tomorrow and downpour on Thursday. Well, that's not necessarily good news for the fans who plan on coming out to practice. And that's why I brought it up. Yes. Because, folks, as you probably already know, bad weather forces the players inside the field house, and there are no uh, – uh, bleachers or any type of fan accessibility in there. So please be very careful tomorrow. If you have tickets for practice, uh, check the Giants website, check the Giants Twitter, Facebook page, uh, because there's a good likelihood based on what the weather people are saying that you're going to be rained out tomorrow. Now, later on in the program, Paul will tell you what direction the jet stream is coming in from. So stay tuned for that here on Giants.com. We provide the latest about the Giants as well as the weather patterns. See, but this might as well be rain for me because there is no practice. It, you know, the sun is like almost inconsequential because I don't get to see the place. That's why the weather is irrelevant today is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. I'm down. Well, the good news is we've got an hour to break down the we team. We do. Which I think makes up for the fact that there is no practice. Can you folks keep us company, please? Ring us up because we need we need something to spark the day. It's just such a downer with no practice. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Well, what's not a downer is some of the observations that we have seen over the first few days of practice. And let's go over some of the trends and some of the things that Pat Shermer has noted. And yes. on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of young guys that they are testing on the defensive line. But one of the most intriguing storylines to me thus far in the early stages of training camp, Paul, is the safety position. And the reason I bring that up, Landon Collins, we know, is penciled in as the strong safety. The free safety, though, is a wide-open battle at this point, and they have been rotating players in and out every single day with a new personnel grouping starting, which gives the coaches an opportunity to assess the situation. Obviously, they're going to learn more during the preseason, but, you know, most teams, they want to get those top two guys, and they want to give them as many reps together as possible. The Giants are... Right yeah. now, very open to seeing a variety of different combinations. Well, I think part of the reason is that you have the new defensive coordinator. Uh, maybe if there was a holdover, you might think that the incumbents would have the edge. But because there's a new staff in here, uh, they're going clean slate, which Coach Shermer told everybody uh, months ago he was going to do. This is not a surprise, okay? Now, I personally believe that between – Adams and Darian Thompson and Booby Miles, obviously Curtis Riley, but again, he calls himself Booby Miles. We know if you've looked at the Giants' website, Dan Salomon did a very nice story on him as to why he calls himself Booby Miles. But they are one and the same person, folks. For those of you who may not know. They think they're two different people. No. They are actually <laughs> one and the same yes. person. You will not find a Booby Miles on the roster. His name is Curtis Riley. Um I know Mike Thomas, who you seem to believe is going to win the job. I think he's very much in the mix, yes. I, I don't think he's as much, but having said that, uh, we do know that you know those three guys 
have at least made more of a name for themselves as a DB. Thomas is known more for his special teams. So if that has any impact on who has a leg up on the job, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I would say yesterday Curtis Riley um, did kind of tweak his hammy a little bit, had to come out of practice, didn't take many reps at all yesterday. Uh, One of the very few minor injuries we've seen during the first week or so of training camp. The Giants have been very fortunate to this point. They have. Uh, This is the time of the year where the last thing you want to see is a key guy go down, considering what we have seen transpire across the lead. Speaking of injuries, Dante Dion had a slight tweak in the hamstring. Pat Shermer says he's okay, and that brings us to the nickel corner spot. Dante Dion, this is a player, Paul, that has been on the practice squad for parts of each of the last two seasons. He was called up last October, then unfortunately suffered a season-ending injury in November. He has flashed before, and it reminds me of Charles James, Dante Dion. There's a lot of similarities, Paul, between both of those players. James Mm -hmm. did a lot of the same things. He'd flash in practice. He'd have a spark or two in a game. Unfortunately, it was a very tough challenge for him to make the roster, but Dion is in serious contention here based on his familiarity with the organization and his consistent production day in and day out. I would agree. I think during the course of training camp, and again, we're only in week number two, I think he's been the third best corner on the field during practice. Now, uh, he's not as good a special teams player in terms of being a gunner that Charles James was. I I thought James was very effective in that role. Dion hasn't shown me that part of his game, which quite honestly would be incredibly valuable to him if he did. Huge asset. Okay. Uh, I would say this. The Giants, as I posted on Twitter the other day, and I also discussed it with John yesterday, or maybe the day before, I can't remember. Well, I guess it was yesterday. The Giants are in the number two position on the waiver wire claiming chart, which means any player who has yet to accrue four complete years of vested NFL experience who gets cut during training camp. Actually, it goes two months into the regular season, but we're talking for the purposes of the 53 right now is going to go through the waiver wire. The Cleveland Browns will have the first pick if they want to claim that guy. The Giants will have pick number two. Now, the Browns are short at corner, which is not good news for the Giants because you think if any good corners come available, Cleveland will probably pounce on them first. But nonetheless, the Giants are in the second slot. So anytime between now and opening day, should somebody of... I guess quality is the proper word to use. Somebody of quality come free on that waiver wire. There's certainly a possibility in the number two spot the Giants might get a shot at them. So the Giants uh, may not have their third or their fourth corner in camp today. Well, there's a lot of movement. We've seen that in years prior Paul, where the Giants have added veterans, whether it be a Leon Hall or an Israel Adonage is another guy that comes to mind. Yeah. Remember, he joined the team late in camp. I'm not saying that that necessarily increases their chances of making the team, but Dave Gettleman will be the first one to tell you he's always looking for talent to give Pat Shermer. Adonage didn't stick, by the way. He didn't the stick. That's why I said. But it's another guy that I'm talking about was added late as a in result of parting ways yeah. with another team and so forth. Dave Gettleman, the other day, when he came in to talk to us, I guess it was Friday? to the media. I think it may have been Thursday. If Thursday? The point yeah. is, and you can always see it on Giants.com. It's archived there, and I do advise you to do it because not only is it great from a football perspective, you understand where Dave's thinking is at, but also the, the human emotion 
about him coming back and fighting off this this leukemia is just wow. I can't tell you how much I'm rooting for him. Lymphoma, I mean, yes. Yeah, the yeah, lymphoma. lymphoma. I'm sorry. Yeah. I no. said leukemia. I don't – oh, man, I don't mean to get those confused. Point being, though, that he is um, – he is such a great guy and such a down-to-earth guy, salt-of-the-earth guy. You can't help but root for him in every which way but lose, you know? In any event, aside from that, my point to you is this. Dave made it very clear. Every guy on this roster has to think about, oh, I need to do this to earn my spot on the 53. And then I've got to do this and this and this to earn my spot on the 47 on game day. Because as I tell people all the time, and Dave reiterated it so beautifully, just because you make the 53 doesn't mean you get a jersey. How many guys make the 53 and they're happy with that? And it's like, oh, guess what? You're not playing this week because you didn't practice hard enough. Be lucky. Be glad that you're still on the 53 because if you're not getting a jersey and the Sunday start going by, what does that say about you? Well, and speaking of getting a jersey, that's why I think it's key to monitor in these preseason games, Paul, who really stands out on special teams, who is within the wide receiver group, the defensive backs Mm -hmm. group, because if you remember last season and in seasons past, sometimes it's been – decision between two corners and two wide receivers in the midst of the season whether or not somebody's going to be up and get a jersey or somebody's going to be down. There was a circumstance where Leon Hall was inactive and the rationale was special teams. And everybody was wondering, whoa, what's going on? Special teams. There were weeks where Tavares King was inactive. And what did that come down to, Paul? Special teams. So guys like Michael Thomas, who we were talking about, who were competing Mm -hmm. for starting jobs but also are very well known for their special teams – when you can prove that you can contribute to a team in multiple facets, it's no surprise that those are the guys that get the jerseys and the other guys are usually inactive. Exactly. There's going to be a reason why you don't get a jersey on game day. Sometimes, rarely, but it does happen where it's strictly a numbers game and they just don't have enough uh, bodies at another position that they got to stock up with maybe an extra guy because somebody's nicked up, and now, okay, you got to pay the price. You can't, you can't dress today because we need an extra running back. That does happen. Don't get me wrong. Of course. But on a consistent basis, when you start seeing a guy not getting a jersey time after time after time, and it's not necessarily because they're shuffling due to injury, well, that tells you that that guy hasn't become the all-around contributor that he needs to be to get on the active roster. Sure, he's on the 53, but again, it's another level. It's another hurdle you must be able to navigate to get yourself on the game day roster. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Before we open up the phone lines, just real quickly, on the offensive side of the ball, some observations over these first few days. To me, what's jumped out, Paul, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it, but Odell Beckham looks like that ankle injury is way behind him. He has been extremely wow. sharp since he's gotten back on the field. Sure does. Drills. Sure does. And and I think the funny part about it for me is that uh, the Giants are ultra conservative, medically speaking. And when they cleared him and then Coach Pat Shermer said, he's going to work and we're going to get him ready for the Jacksonville game. And however many snaps that is, we're simply going to get him ready. Pat's not giving out a schedule to everybody day to day and say he's getting X number of snaps. He says, we're going to do what we need to do to get him prepared. And that has turned out to be a regular rotation 
out on the practice field during team drills, much to many people's surprise. And he looks like the same Odell Beckham Jr. that we saw before the injury. Sterling Shepard claims that Odell is more explosive even than before the injury. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to see him against competition, the opposition, not just his own guys, before I start talking in those terms. But Lance, uh, I, 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 right now, I'm inclined to probably believe him because it doesn't look like Odell has lost a step at all. No, and that's extremely encouraging. And I understand the urgency to see him go up against other competition. I'm with you there. But, you know, he's going up against Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple. It's not as if he's not being tested in practice. He's going up against the Giants' top corners. To some degree. To some degree. But he is certainly taking care of business even when he's lining up with them. So, you know, I didn't necessarily have my doubts that he wouldn't be a full participant or wouldn't be aggressive, but you know, I didn't think we were going to see this much of him this early on in training camp. That's what at least has been a pleasant surprise to me. Well, because we had heard all along that they're going to bring the guys along slowly, the, the injured fellas, Collins and and Beckham. Well, by the way, Landon Collins has Same been full. Same thing. Yeah, he's another guy. <laughs> he's been full off well, of the forearm. It's as if they never got hurt. Beckham with the ankle, Collins with the forearm. They've both been full. Now, again, as I We've discussed this many times. We always took Coach Shermer at face value. We always took Beckham at face value. We were not buying into the clickbait and all the ridiculous rumors that people kept throwing out there. But I did think that when Coach said we're going to be smart with him, I did think that would be weaning him in. Progressively. Progressively. That's a good word. Yeah. It was, It's like you're boom. in. <laughs> you're in. You're in. Go. Run. Don't look back. Yeah. It, it did it did even catch me off guard and by surprise at how much he has done so far. And as far as the tight end position, Rhett Ellison spoke to the media yesterday, and Evan Engram also has been a big topic of the discussion. What's interesting that the coaching staff has brought up, as well as Rhett Ellison, in that tight end room, compared to maybe previous years, there is a big disparity in terms of experience, Paul. You have yes. Red Ellison here, and then you have the rest of the group over here. And that's not necessarily a bad reflection of the room. It's just Red Ellison is sort of like a pseudo-coach in that room because of his knowledge of the offense, being with Pat Shermer, and his knowledge of the game and being in the league versus the other guys, even Evan Engram. You know, we tend to forget because Evan Engram played so much last season and wound up leading the team in receptions. He's only got one season under his belt. That's it. Red Ellison is like what I am to you and John. Okay, well, I didn't know we were going to go with those parallels. I think I got a little bit more in the tank than Evan Ingram, though. Okay, but yes. I'm the old geezer. Yes, you are the old geezer. So hey, is Red Ellison. Your term, not mine. I will <laughs> gladly adopt that terminology. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think, though, that uh, part of the benefit of Ellison's experience is that he worked under Shermer. Uh, in Minnesota when Shermer was uh, an offensive uh, assistant. Yeah, first he was the tight ends coach, though. Right. And then became the OC. And I think that is incredibly valuable. In talking to Ellison about it yesterday, he did say his knowledge of Shermer's demeanor, of Shermer's habits, of Shermer's playbook, all those kinds of things have allowed him to help coach those other guys up a lot easier than maybe otherwise would have been. All right, let's open up the phone lines. That is our review of the first three padded days of practice well, for the Giants. Shouldn't we just mention 
sparkly once before we get okay. to the Okay, I mean, I didn't know if there was anything earth-shattering, but if you wanted to throw your two cents in There for is him, one thing sure, I, absolutely. I, I do want to say okay. about Saquon Barkley. Yes, I'm all ears. Uh, and we all know the stuff that's been said before. I just want to mention this one thing. We've oh now boy. seen him at practice against defenders who are supposed to hit him. Three padded practices, okay? His jukes are really something. He has been, and again, I'm using this term loosely. If you if you know anything about football or sports, you know when you say you break a defender's ankles, that basically means you juked him so much that either he lost his sneakers or he or he lost his cleats or he broke his ankles. Or he fell. I mean, clear out fell too. Form yeah. of breaking your ankle. And and Barkley does that to defenders on a regular basis. He is, no matter what we've said about him, the more you watch him on the practice field, the more scary good you realize that he is. His jukes are just out of this world. You feel bad (laughs) for the defender who is going to be caught in his zone on defense. You really do. You just say, oh, no, that poor guy. Oh, what's going to happen to him? He may be posterized. It's That's the almost form like how NBA guys felt when Jordan was coming in for a dunk. You know, do you want to be that guy on the Jordan dunk SI poster? You don't want to be the other side of the poster, of course. Right. Yes. And do you want to be the guy who's going to be in that shot when Barkley jukes you to the ground? Or, for that matter, jukes you out of your shorts. Because, Lance, it it happens every practice. And it's not that Alec Ogletree is a bad linebacker. It's not that these defensive backs are bad defensive backs. He's got this incredible quickness, this cutting ability, this juke ability, where he can stop on a dime and just go and turn and spin and twist. And all of a sudden, the defender's like, whoa, he's like on a skateboard. It's an, it's unbelievable. I want to see this guy in a real game soon. I can't wait to see him play the Browns and go up against somebody else because it's just scary. It's just really, really scary. I feel bad for every defender in the National Football League who has to deal with Saquon Barkley. I really do. I'm sorry, folks, but that's just the way it is. His athleticism has certainly translated over from college to the pros. It boggles the mind. Not that anybody was concerned about that. In a more serious note, though, not that it's anything to be concerned about, but I thought what Craig Johnson, the Giants running backs coach, had to say was extremely insightful in terms of pass protection. And that is still He's going to be something. No, he though. is, but I, I think I'm more intrigued to see him go up against non-Giants defensive well, opponents in that department, much more so than what he does on the offensive side. I, I said to, to one of my football guys the other day, you know, the one thing that defenses are going to be able to do going in is show him a kaleidoscope of looks, especially on pressure packages, that they know he hasn't seen before. I mean, you know, Penn State faced limited types of defensive yeah. schemes. But he was asked to do it, though. He was definitely asked to pass. There's no doubt about it. Unlike some other young running backs who are not no necessarily doubt about asked it, to But do the that. sophistication of these NFL coordinators. The aggressiveness. And they're so going to yeah. show. I mean, trust me. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to show Saquon Barkley so many different looks that his head's going to be spinning. 
Now, the good news is he's had some experience doing it, he's willing to do it, and he's shown that he can be effective at doing it. But there are still going to be things that he's never seen before that the Jaguars are going to throw at him. And that's probably about the only way you're going to be able to limit this guy in any way because he's got everything else down already. Well, that's why I'm looking for the moment, and this play always will stick out to me, Paul, and I'm sure you remember it. Giants-Browns, late 2016 season. That was the game where Odell Beckham returned Mm -hmm. just about every punt and kickoff and was called back because of penalties or everything else. Remember it well. Jamie Collins of the Cleveland Browns comes right down the gut at Eli, who steps in. Paul Perkins says, welcome to the National Football League. And that was his coming out party. I'm looking for Barkley to have that moment where, and I'm sure Craig Johnson is too, because Craig said there's going to be that time where that defender, whether it be a linebacker Mm -hmm. or a safety, he's going to come right down the middle. Mm -hmm. He's going to go toe-to-toe with Saquon Barkley, looking him in the eye. What does Saquon do under those circumstances? That's the moment I'm looking for, just like Paul Perkins rose to the occasion. What does Barkley do? In those circumstances. Yep. So that'll be something to watch. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Let's open up the lines. We start the festivities off with Christian in New York. Christian, what's happening? Hey, guys. I have a couple questions, but I just want to quickly uh, give you guys a thank you first because I've gotten a couple of writing jobs, and I give you guys a lot of credit for that. You guys have been like a mentor in a way. But um, well, That's cool. Well, we appreciate that. I'm Good glad to hear that... Uh, you're opening up new horizons. Oh, it's it's awesome. But um so something I've been wondering, I've heard that the offensive line has been struggling overall, but where, where, where did you where did you hear that? I'm curious because Coach Schirmer said the offensive line has done a good job so far. So where where have you where have you heard the fallacy? Well, I I guess I, I heard in this press conference that it's not necessarily visible to everybody. Correct. That watches. That's correct. But um, the the naked eye and the uneducated eye doesn't always see. That's true. Um, but I was wondering if it's just. Oh, I didn't more think we were gonna get so deep on this program today. Whew. Well, that go was ahead. some line. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Go Chris, ahead. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. But uh, do you think the defensive line is just doing a fantastic job? Because I've heard that Nate Solder has had his hands full with Olivier Vernon, but. I've been wondering if maybe Vernon is just better now in his new role. Vernon has had what some of his teammates have called the best offseason of any giant in terms of his conditioning is always top-notch because he's a pro's pro, and he busses behind. In fact, he still runs sprints after practice. And he works with Solder after practice. Yes, he too, does. By the way, one-on-one. Um, and uh, on top of that, they, the Giants' teammates, the players, I'm not talking about the coaches now, the players are even telling me, they don't think that that Chandler Jones comparison is out of line. They think that Vernon's going to have a career-high season statistically because he is in that good a shape, he's that determined, he's that energetic, he's in the prime of his career, and they know that Betcher really wants to make sure he has an opportunity to dominate. So, you know... You're going to tell me that you've heard that Vernon's doing well at camp? I'm not going to deny that at all. I absolutely agree with that. Now, you know, Solder, on the other hand, is a guy who has an incredible resume. And while you know he's putting out, because that's the kind of guy he is, also a pro's pro, in my money, for my for my money, I need to see Nate Solder at his best in September. I don't necessarily need him to be stoning Olivier Vernon right now at the end of July, if that makes any sense to you. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and if you think if you think Dante Dion keeps this uh, keeps this rate up, do you see him as the starting nickel for the season? It's a wide open competition, and if he continues to produce as he has so far, why wouldn't he be the guy? But it's a long way between now and Jacksonville. Yeah, so far so good. I, I think Dion probably, if you ask me, would be the front runner at this point, but it's very early. And the other thing that I would not rule out, just based on what I've seen, if they are impressed with the depth that they see at safety, Paul, I could see an additional safety being utilized as that additional corner and using that safety in the slot if they feel confident, like an Antrol roll. And I know Andrew Rose sometimes had his ups and downs when he was put in the slot. I remember that Cowboys game a few years back when all of a sudden, because of injuries, they had to bring him in. Terrell Thomas, I think, got banged up, and the Cowboys took advantage of that. But it would not surprise me if they maybe utilized the safety in the nickel as another option. And I don't think that's far-fetched at all. I certainly think that that's something they would consider. What else you got, Christian? And also... Um how has Barkley ran the ball? Because I, I hear so much about, you know, his the catches that he's making and the and the jukes, but how has he looked just running through the hole, like between the tackles? Again, you're, you're not going to get a whole ton of that in, in, in these kinds of practices. You need to see more of that during the preseason games. But I will tell you, when they do practice the running plays, he does shoot through the hole very, very quickly. I mean, all of a sudden you see the bodies collide at the line of scrimmage and there's 26 like a blur <laughs> on the other side and, 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 and gaining positive yardage. Uh, so I would say he's passing all of the tests so far with flying colors. But honestly, before you start grading the running game, you've got to see some preseason snaps. Definitely. All right, well, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. You got it. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's head back to the lines. Jake is in Westfield, Massachusetts. Jake, what do you have for us? Hi, Lance. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Doing well, Jake. What's on your mind? Uh, uh, Listen, I know it's early in training camp, but uh, based upon what you guys have seen, um, is there maybe a clear-cut number two quarterback like Davis Webb or, you know, yeah, I would say it's Webb at this point, Paul. Pat Shermer was asked that last week and said that he's not putting together a depth chart. It's too premature to do so. But I think we all know that Davis Webb is the solid number two. I, I, there's no question about that, at least unofficially. Absolutely. But Coach is not naming one now because, as he said, he wants everybody to compete at the highest level and wants everybody to, quote, have an equal chance. Look, Lolette is getting a ton of snaps, too. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. He's getting a lot of practice time out here, but it's clear to anybody who watches and anybody who knows anything about football, Davis Webb is, is cemented as the number two. There's no doubt about that. But good for Pat Shermer not to, not to name it because, after all, it's unlikely. But what happens if Davis Webb just suddenly decides he's going to play horribly? And just absolutely does miserably. Yeah, struggles in the preseason. Preseason goes one for 15 against the Browns for, for five yards and three interceptions. I mean, that's not going to happen. But all of a sudden, if that happens, now all of a sudden you got to eat crow and backpedal and say, well, I named him number two, but now I don't know. Yeah, that's why it's unnecessary to crown anybody this early. Exactly. But I would agree, I think unofficially, based on what we've seen, Davis Webb right now would have an edge over Loletta in terms As he of should. the number two spot. Yeah, because he has more experience. Right. Okay. He's All got right. more Thanks, tools, guys. too, yeah. by the way. You got it, Jake. 
Appreciate the phone call. And one of the things that Davis Webb brought up when he spoke to the media, he was asked, well, what did you work on this offseason? You know, other than obviously looking at Vikings tape and seeing how this offense is going to run. And said, mobility out of the pocket His and footwork. being accurate on the run. That's what he said he emphasized to himself this offseason. Coach Shermer specifically was asked about Eli and Davis Webb the other day and said both quarterbacks have been very good throughout camp. Consistently good is what he said. Uh, There's no doubt that it's been a good camp for both number 10 and number 5. Yeah, what Shermer pointed out, he said mentally he's been very impressed, meaning getting the guys lined up, Mm -hmm. seeing what the defense is showcasing, making adjustments at the line. Deciphering the blitzers. Yeah, those are the things that jumped out to him about Eli Manning and Davis Webb. But like you said, right now, nobody is 1-2-3 in terms of the laundry list, because, listen, if I'm a coach too, even if you have the urgency to build a depth chart, until you really see them in one preseason game, you know those pieces are going to be moving inside out, upside down. And by the way, you you know they're being tested because James Betcher, (laughs) he's got uh, quite a a, uh, schematic uh, book upstairs, and, uh, you know, these guys are seeing it all. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Wagner's in Connecticut. Wagner, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's on your mind? Well, I was wanting to know how's Eric Flowers looking. Like, how's it, I know it's hard in in a training camp, but how's his technique and is he mentally getting getting it? Also with Chad Wheeler too. Like, is is he getting it? Like, uh, is this technique uh, is this technique getting better? Well, I think we should go back to Coach Shermer, who said that he thought Eric Flowers was doing well. He likes his focus. Uh, he likes his work habits. Uh, he says he's doing better and is consistently improving since the offseason and becoming more and more comfortable at right tackle all the time. Uh, I have I have no reason to doubt the coach when he says that. Again, as he explained to us very carefully, that it's so easy because people want to take the temperature day-to-day. They want grades on the offensive line. They want grades on a player day-to-day, and they think they know what they're seeing out there. But they really don't. Only the coaches understand the big picture. Only the coaches understand what it is that they want done on a particular play and if it was done or not. And I'll give you a great example. Let's just say there's a they've called on the field, and you can't tell this necessarily on the field. Even sometimes they don't have the yardsticks exactly where they want them. Let's say it's a it's a third and eight play, okay, and. This play that they're going to run is designed for Betcher to send a firehouse blitz. He's going to send everybody, all right? So what happens? Mm -hmm. The crowd's watching. Quarterback goes back to throw, throws the pass. It's complete for six yards. Now, maybe the uneducated eye says, okay, quarterback read the blitz, made the throw. It was complete. It's a good play. But in reality... It was not a good play because the purpose of the play was for the blitz to get home. That was what that play was designed to do. That play was specifically set up for the all-out blitz to get the pressure and to get the quarterback, and it failed. So ultimately, in the coach's mind, that was a bad play. You see what I'm getting at? Yes, I do. If you, Unless you know what the coach's intention is on, on the particular play, you truly don't know if that play was a success or not. Now, at the same time, the secondary coach is going to say, well, I, 
my guy stopped him a yard short of the first down, that was a success for him. Mm-hmm. So you can even have a particular play where it's good for one unit but not good for the other. Different or, facets of the play. And, and this is why it is so lame, so lame for anybody, especially people who don't know, to pretend that they know and assume that they know and make broad brush statements and say, well, such and such a player isn't doing this or isn't doing that, especially when you're talking about guys on the line of scrimmage. It is incredibly difficult for any of us who are not knowledgeable of what the play is being called and what's the purpose of the play to truly understand if that player won that play or not. What we can see are the skill position guys who are throwing it and catching it and maybe knocking the ball and down in the secondary. And so forth. That we can yeah. kind of all see. But there's no, a lot of stuff that. we can't. So your answer, your answer, I don't know 100% what Eric Flowers is doing, but the coach says he's doing well. That's good enough for me. And as far as Chad Wheeler, Wagner, that you also asked about, I mean, when Pat Shermer was asked about the backups, because there's a lot of young guys, there's some unproven commodities, mm-hmm. there's some veterans. I mean, he mentioned at this point – he likes the fact that everybody's competing, but until they get to the games, it's hard to make declarations about all of these individual players and how they're doing. But he does like the level of competition, especially even at the center position where we're seeing Brett Jones trying to fight off the competition to see if he can retain his starting job. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, just the fact that they're competing, that's, that's great. After last year, I think some guys, it's easy for me to say, that kind of gave up, but... It's uh, competition is always a good thing. Sure, it's a great thing. Listen, depth is important when you're looking at the makeup of your roster. I appreciate the phone call, Wagner. All you need to do is go back to 2017 when the Giants were decimated by so many injuries and there was a significant drop-off from the starters to the backup. So what Pat Shermer obviously wants to see this season is in the event that they suffer an injury to a starter, that that backup, they're confident that he's going to come in. And that's why I think one of the things that Pat Shermer has been preaching, Paul, throughout camp, and this is similar to Dave Gettleman's philosophy, is his address to the team has been He wants all 90 guys to get a roster spot. What he means by that is 53 guys make the Giants roster, maybe 10 guys make the practice squad, a couple of more make it to various other practice squad teams, or they get picked up by other teams on the 53. So if everybody looks at it, hey, I've got to get a roster spot, that's going to make everybody else on the team better. And that's been his main message, which I think is a philosophy every coach should adopt. Listen, tell the goal of the team is every single person in our room right now Get a roster. And that doesn't mean it's a 53. Get a practice squad position. Get something associated with an NFL team throughout the course of the season. Well, that shows you a couple of things. It shows you, A, your scouting staff and personnel department was doing a good job because they picked out worthy guys. It also shows that your coaching staff has done a good job because if all those guys land on rosters, then it also means the coaches were helping to coach them up and make sure they perform to the level that they were capable of. Yeah, it's a good reflection, like you said, on the front office as well as the coaching staff. Let's head back to the lines. We got Jason in Denmark. Jason, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Lion? Doing well, Jason. What do you How got for doing us? Today? Doing very well. So what's happening? Um, hey, I love that interview, uh, Paulie, that you did with Matt Bradshaw. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Great to see him again. Yeah, it was really refreshing to see him, uh, you know, up there talking. Um which, which brings me to my uh, small, not necessarily comparison, but I want to get your take. Remember how when um, Ahmad Bradshaw would run, when those times when he would look like he would, like, stop, 
mm-hmm. was dive forward, claw forward, move forward, do something to get that extra half a yard. Do you see Saquon Barkley also doing that if it comes times when, say, they double team him or something and, he, and they stop him? Is he a clawer? Is he going to dive forward? Is he going to try to get that extra yard? Get him any game, we'll let you know. <laughs> get him any game. Right now, you can't tell that because these these are contact practices. I hate to use the word because I know it was used under the previous regime, but Coach Shermer used it himself. They're thud practices. You're hitting guys with pads, and if you knock them over, that's fine, but you're not wrapping up and throwing them to the ground. At least yeah. you're not supposed to. So without the real tackling going on and the wrapping up going on, your question is totally premature. We can't tell. Okay, okay. Well, I'll bring it up on another show later on. In well, life. but Jason, I do, um, but, uh, I do think Barkley has the shiftiness like Ahmad Bradshaw. If you're trying to make that comparison, where Bradshaw would be able to dance in between defenders and you know do a little shaking and baking, I think Barkley has the potential for that. But I mean, is he going to constantly be shedding tacklers? And if guys wrap him up, he's going to be able to carry them and shed them. Now, I would agree with Paul. Until you really see a game situation, I think it's way too early to make that declaration. And, and that statement you were just making, uh, Lance, about uh, getting a roster, roster spot and whether it's on the Giants practice squad or other team and so on. Uh, remember, I told you I'm from the military and so on. And in the military, uh, you know, even supervisors, that if your sailor moves to another ship, moves to another command, and all of a sudden they advance, they get another rank, they do well, they win the Nobel Prize, that chief petty officer, that officer, actually gets credit for that, even though they're not on the command. Cool. It's like uh, when I listen when I listened to that press conference, I felt the same way. Like I, it's like I saw the military, you That's know, a good get on a roster, wow. whether it's with the Giants or not, because you only going to grow as a player, and you, and you never know, you might make your way back to the Giants and uh, work just as hard or even harder once you get back, if if that's the case. So. Uh, I agree with you with that statement. The last thing I would say is um, I agree with you also, Lance. That was a hell of a statement Paulie just made about the naked eye and the educated eye. <laughs> I would have to use that sometime in the future. That was really great. You never know when you get some words of wisdom out of Paul Dettino <laughs> on Big Blue Kickoff Live. He surprises you sometimes, Jason. You see that? You can even tell that from overseas. We got a little weather report today, and we got words of wisdom. Jason, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, and I, and I really mean this. Part of being experienced and being around something for such a long time, you learn to know what you don't know. And those are the smartest people in their particular fields because they understand what it is that they can't assume. And, you know, it's laughable at at how many folks just automatically think they know, but they really don't. Once they recognize and know what they don't know, that's when they can begin to really start deciphering the truth. That is true. That is true. Well, I let some other calls uh, come through. Uh, great show, and uh, can't wait for preseason. All right, Jason. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's head back to the lines. We got T in New York City. T, what's happening? What's going on, fellas? Thanks for taking my call. Well, Quick question. Making it. I just saw that Stefan Diggs got his contract extension. He did. Yep. When is my man Odell Beckham getting paid? Well, I think we've had this conversation about 25 million times on this program, and (laughs) my response is the same thing, T. Uh, You go back to what John Mara and Dave Gettleman said, that when it's time, they will hammer it out, 
and in the event that it doesn't work out, this is not their words, these are my words. I've always said you still have the franchise tag, which is an option under the CBA. I mean, if fans are overly concerned that Odell Beckham is going anywhere, I would not get to that point because there are other options even in the event that a contract doesn't get hammered out. But I think, you know, from the Giants' perspective, from Odell Beckham's perspective, the more and more guys that you brought up, and Stefan Diggs is one of them that continues to get contracts, you know, Odell Beckham obviously is the next guy up. And, and he and his... Reps, you know, maybe of the mindset, we'd rather see how the market plays out. We'd like to see what everybody else gets, so therefore we can come to the negotiating table with something that we feel incorporates where Beckham status is compared to the rest of the wide receivers. So, you know, remember, it takes two to tango. The team, <laughs> as well as Beckham's reps, need to want to come midway at the table to hammer out a deal. I, I think that's important to note. Right. And, you know, you guys have any idea of what his numbers might be for that contract? Well, I mean, once again, I, I think that's an extreme guessing game. Uh, certainly, I'm sure, as I always say this with the quarterback situation, T, if you're the quarterback that is due a contract, if you're Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> all you do is you look at the guy that just got the deal before you. So if you're Odell Beckham, yeah, you're looking at what Stephon Diggs got. You're also looking at what Jarvis Landry got. You're looking at what Antonio Brown got. You're looking Julio at all those Jones. players, Julio Jones, and they're going to probably use that as their barometer and starting point, and both sides will go back and forth. So well, Understand this. Uh, John Mara already last week at his press conference said, we pretty much think we've got a pretty good idea as to what kind of number it's going to take. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't require a tremendous amount of smarts to look at potentially the top three, four, five receivers in the league and say – the number's going to be somewhere on, on that, that continent, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> that's just the way it is. That, that's how every position, grade, and contract works. Right, and last question for you guys. Who has the best wide receiving core in the NFL right now? With the Browns' new group, the Giants' group looks good, but who do you guys think it is? That's a good question, and we'll, we'll let you go on that note, T. The Browns, I would say a few weeks ago looked good on paper. The problem is Josh Gordon's not in camp. He's still dealing with, you know, some off-the-field issues, and Ricardo Lewis got injured. So I don't know if Cleveland is as appealing as it was a few weeks ago. I don't know if I'd necessarily put them in the position because, to me, it's on paper as well as perhaps production. That, to me, is a big part of it. See, I think the question needs to be clarified. Are you strictly talking about the wide-receiving core or are you talking about the targets, the receivers, in a more generic sense? Because if you open this thing up to targets, well, you know what? Evan Ingram is going to help the Giants out in the rankings, and Saquon Barkley is going to help the Giants That's out fair. in the rankings. So all of a sudden, if it's just involving the skill positions, instead of saying the wide receivers – uh, the Giants are going to be in the top three, I would think. Well, I would operate more on, and this is my interpretation of what T brought up, was more of just the wide receiver position. That's and a different story. Not talk about the tight ends and the Totally different story Because if you're, if you're going in your direction, that's more of the receiving game as opposed to the receiving core. Right. So I would say if you look at it just through the lens of wide receivers, yeah, the Giants, I think, are in the conversation. I don't know if I would put them the best atop the list because, you know, aside from Beckham and Shepard, I think there's a lot of show-me time in the rest of this group. I mean, Roger Lewis has been around. He's been progressing. Cody Latimer just joined the team but has mainly been a special teamer in Denver. You probably put the Giants in the top ten. Yeah, I don't where, think that's where? crazy. I don't know. Yeah. 
Because we really don't even look. Coach Shermer hasn't even identified who 3, 4, and 5 are yet. That's fair. I would not necessarily disagree with that. I think the Vikings deserve some consideration. Without question. Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs have been two of the most consistent wide receivers in the league. And, you know, even if you go back with their complementary pieces, Laquan Treadwell still has some proving to do. Mm -hmm. Tavares King, they added. The former Giant, who has been a very valuable player no matter where he's gone. So, you know, that would be one of the teams that comes to mind. Atlanta, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Justin Hardy on paper. It looks good, but still a lot of youth. I would not put them ahead of Minnesota. I'm just looking over the NFL here out loud. I mean, uh, the Chargers, I think, are another good team. Yeah. Keenan Allen, Tyrell Williams, I, I, Travis Benjamin. That's a team I think deserves some consideration. Uh, how about the Raiders? Well, starts with Amari Cooper. And Amari's been <laughs> up and down. No, but Jordy Nelson they added. They added you know, Jordy that, Nelson. That's why I bring up the Raiders. Yeah, that's so, good. Yeah. You know, that, that's another team. And I, I, here's I mean, a, go, 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 no, go no, ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say Tampa Bay. Not bad. Tampa Bay's another one. Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson. Actually, Tampa Bay's a really good one, you Paul. Know, you can't forget them. And Tampa Bay, by the way, has a number of intriguing young guys, by the way, in the mix. It's interesting you brought them. Chris Godwin, Adam Humphreys. Mm-hmm. You know, these are like your three and four, but these these guys could very well start on some other teams. Maybe even move up the ladder. And I, I like some of even the young guys. I mean, Justin Watson, I watch very closely from covering the Ivy League out of Penn. Would not surprise me if he makes the team. One of the best Ivy League receivers all time. So they've got a lot of depth. That's actually a really good team. The other team that I was going to throw out, Paul, that I think is an under-the-radar is Jacksonville. Because if you go by name, Jacksonville's not appealing. Right. But if you go by production, Jacksonville's got a number of gems in that department. Even with losing Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson, by the way. And then again, part of this question involves the quarterback who's throwing it to them. Reflection of the game. And we all know, you know, Blake Bortles is much maligned. Uh, Regardless of how many games he won last year, there are those who still will shake their heads at him. That's certainly a part of it. And and that and that that part of the equation is is almost like, you know, how do you define the the wide receiving core if they've got you know a better quarterback with them or a substandard quarterback with them? It does have somewhat of an impact. By the way, Jacksonville, who I was referencing, Keelan Cole, Marquise Lee, and D.D. Westbrook. Those three guys. Lee's been in the league for a few years. He's been banged up. Cole and D.D. Westbrook are extremely young. So those are two guys. Keep close tabs on them. Uh, I think the Jacksonville passing game is extremely underrated based on the personnel. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, what's happening? Lance, it's great to talk to you. It's one of the few guys covering the team that doesn't have to wear a hat when you're out on the field, you know, so that's a nice thing. <laughs> yes, that is, that is a rare advantage for me. I don't get the pluses in the height category, but uh, when it comes to the hat, I will, I will give you credit for that, Dave. I appreciate you looking out for some of the small features that I don't necessarily I get enough kudos for. Ever. Yes, but, but he, he, he was referencing, it was more of a John Schmelk shot. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, it's yes. more of what, what we're working with I, on the top. I, I, that, I, that's I what am it came down some. to. There's no yes. question no, about no, it, but, you, but that's but, also because of stress. No, no, but I will give you this. You're still in a completely different ballpark from Schmelk. Oh, okay? no doubt. So, so whenever we take shots at John Schmelk, I will not shy away from that. Okay. So John's here, Paul's here, and I will take the lead in that. Yes. No, that, that, was, that was a very astute observation on your part. Dave. Of course, yes. Feigs is in Schmelk's well, that Feig, well, Feig's correct. So you have a step on Feigs and Schmelk. Okay. See, we're going through the rankings here. Yes. Exactly right. You're yeah. holding on, Paul, like the rest of us. <laughs> Trying. Hey, um, 
you know, I know this may be like a completely out of left field question, but I was wondering, Paul and, and Lance, if either of you have thought about this, um, how the Giants are going to situate um, who's going to be up in the booth, you know, when it comes to, you know, with, with Shermer main, mainly playing the call, you know, calling the plays, do you see, you know, Shula being up in the booth or do you see him on the sideline because they have a smaller coaching staff, which, by the way, is very similar to what the Patriots do. Um, so that's not a bigger deal. But, you know, they don't have a quarterback coach. So they don't. They have a one less body, you know, that they can just throw up there. Have you thought about how that's going to play out? Because I look at it and I say, hey, the running back, the tight end, the wide receiver. Typically, those guys are on the sideline at the game. Who's who's Shermer talking to? That has not been discussed yet. And if it has, it's been behind closed doors because I have not heard any public proclamation as to what the Giants plan to do. I think it's okay. a it's a great question. I'm trying to recall, Paul. You and I spoke to Brad Childress, who I thought provided tremendous he amount did. of insight. This goes back to right as Pat Shermer was hired, and we talked a lot about the conversations, the structure of the offense, the play calling, and Shermer sort of liked to do both, even though Childress was on staff. But you know what we didn't get into, which is interesting that Dave brought that up, is about the dynamics during a game, and when you're the head coach and the offensive guru. You know, do you prefer to have the other guy up top to give you a different perspective, or would you rather him be down on the sideline near you to consult in between possessions? I will say this. I remember seeing a lot of photographs and film of Coach Shula on the sideline in Carolina. I was going to say that, too. I I agree. I do remember seeing him on the sideline. Now, that may be his preference, or maybe it was Rivera's preference, that Shula be down there. True. Whatever Coach Shermer wants to do is what the Giants are going to do. But uh, that's about the only hint that I could come up with. Okay. The, the other question was just, you know, um, a guy that gets under the radar, Shane Smith, and kind of the whole role of the fullback. If, if you look at it, was very fascinating last year. One of the things I really liked about Shermer and looking at his Vikings offense was the importance he put on protection. He literally had times where he would put three tight ends um, on, on the line, two receivers, and still throw the ball mm-hmm. with a with an eight man protection. I mean, it was unbelievable. And it, if you think about it, it makes a ton of sense of saying, "Hey, I can either run four guys out there and try to beat you know the secondary by overwhelming them with numbers, or I can go the other route, which is I can drop my quarterback seven or eight steps, give give two receivers, think of Shepard and Beckham running across the defense." So. Part of me wonders about Shane Smith, both in the run game but also in the pass protection. Love to hear your guys' thought about what, what type of camp he's having, and then I'll let you guys go. Thanks so much for taking the call. You got it, Dave. Thanks for the phone call. You know, it's interesting he brought that up. I'm just thinking about Carolina, for example, last season, and then we'll get more into Shane Smith. I wonder from Shula's perspective, and this would be a, a better question, obviously, for him to answer next time he speaks to the media, when Carolina traded away Kelvin Benjamin, Paul, if you mm-hmm. recall, early last season to Buffalo, they didn't have a very deep receiving core. No. And I wonder, because of that, did he utilize some additional tight ends? I mean, they had Ed Dixon, Greg Olson then came back from injury, and he just felt, you know what? 
because of our resources, similar to like when the Giants were in a position where it was sure. Evan Engram. <laughs> sure. You were like, hey, he's got to line up as a wide receiver because we got nobody else at this point. I wonder if that was part of it as opposed to, hey, this is our philosophy. This is why we want the additional tight ends on the field. Uh, Just something to think about. I will say this. Nobody has gotten either Craig Johnson, the running backs coach, uh, OC Mike Shula, or head coach Pat Shermer to commit to protecting a fullback on the 53. I've yet to hear anybody say, yes, we want a fullback on the 53. In fact, I believe both Dave Gettleman and Shermer have said, we're going to keep the best 53 regardless of position. I believe they've actually said that on more than one occasion. And if that means no fullback, then it means no fullback. Now, Shane Smith, we know he – he, he's played in this league before. He can do some things. He has lined up uh, a number of times as an H-back out at practice. Yep. You know, not as the pure fullback. Um, I will say that in talking to uh, Ellison and also Coach Johnson about Barkley, who did not have a fullback at Penn State, they told me both. They thought that if he were to run behind a fullback, it would not be a problem at all, that he could make that adjustment with, with very little problems. Um, but, again, nobody's committing to the Giants having a fullback on their 53. I want to make that clear. I, I, don't, I don't think it's known right now. I really don't. Yeah, I do think it's somewhat of a guessing game. And if they do know, they're keeping it close Correct. to the best. Correct. They're not revealing it. But if you look at, once again, history, which is what the last caller Dave was alluding to, Shermer, and the Vikings utilized Rhett Ellison as a fullback. I mean, he led the way for Adrian Peterson. I know that's sure a did. few years prior, so not necessarily tied into Pat Shermer, but he's got experience there. And then if you go back to Carolina, Carolina utilized with D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, they would also have a fullback in more often than not. And they would utilize some different running backs in that position. I know um, the name escapes me. He went to Buffalo recently. He was that bigger back that Carolina had. For some reason, the name is at the tip of my tongue, and I I can't think of it. He was sort of a pseudo running back slash fullback. You know what I'm talking about? I know he went to Buffalo, and I'm not exactly sure if he's still with the Bills or he's elsewhere. I know because they have now Patrick DeMarco on their roster. He was with the Atlanta Falcons, but he was more of a typical fullback. But Carolina had Mike something. The name will, I know, eventually come to me. He was a a Panthers running back. Yeah, I know who you mean. Did it start with a Z? That's the name. Mike Tolbert. Tolbert. Just found it. There we go. Tolbert. Mike Tolbert. You're right. Tolbert was a guy that would be in Carolina. Mm -hmm. He'd line up as a fullback to block the way for Stewart and Williams. And at the same time, when they got hurt, he'd actually become a running back. So could Shane Smith, you know, serve as that type of a guy? It's it's possible. I'm not going to rule it out. I also personally think the Giants have a little bit more depth at running back that they wouldn't ask him to be a runner. I I, I think, if anything, he'd just be a blocker. I don't think that's likely either. You know, it may come down to, I hate to say this again, it may come down to Smith battling whoever the extra tight end might be. May come down to that again. In terms of roster spots, yeah. You know, he doesn't have to be fighting for the fullback position. He just could be fighting against the tight end. That's very fair, depending on what they see out of these young 
tight ends behind Red Ellison. You Maybe know? they choose to go, hey, Rhett is valuable, Shane Smith is valuable, and then we'll keep two other just typical tight ends. They could go in that direction as well. I, I will say this, uh, Jarrell Adams has had a pretty good start to camp. You know, oh, and uh, he's going to give them. He's going to give them something to think about because this is a show me year for him. Third year now, you got to break out. And interestingly, Kyle Carter, who was with the team the entire offseason for him, is gone, and he's another one who had ties to Pat Shermer. So that, to me, has sort of opened the door. Because I will be honest with you, Paul. In my mind, I'm thinking Ellison Carter. They know the offense. They have familiarity with Shermer. You would think they'd have a leg up. Now all of a sudden, Carter gets cut as a result gone. of a roster move. Mm-hmm. that could very well open the door for a guy like Jarrell Adams. And Adams is a name that we talked about earlier this offseason, if you recall. He was not drafted by the current regime, has no ties to the coaching staff, so it's show-me time for him to try to lock down a roster. Without spot. a doubt. Wide open behind Red Ellison and Evan Ingram at this tight end position. I think there there's a lot of intrigue in terms of what this group is going to showcase during the course of training camp. So that is something to watch. But, yeah, the fullback position, it was even a mystery last season when it was brought up. And I don't think that storyline or that narrative has been dismissed. And you understand that at this point the coaches don't want to necessarily give away everything. But I believe, and Paul, you just brought this up, you were the one that asked Red Ellis in that question the other day, right at the presser about Saquon Barkley, how he would fare running with a fullback in front of him. I remember that. I did. And Ellis had seemed to... Be confident. I mean, he hasn't yet to see it consistently on the practice field, but just the way that Saquon Barkley moves in his decision-making, his decisiveness, he felt that whether a fullback's in front of him or not, he doesn't necessarily think that's going to be an issue. He will make the appropriate reads. I think they're pretty confident about that. And that's also what Craig Johnson added, because Craig Johnson said a lot of teaching a running back is to not overthink things. Once Mm -hmm. you get to the second layer of the defense— you see the hole, stick with the hole. Because the minute you start fighting for the extra yardage or you start dancing is when you get in trouble. And then a positive play all of a sudden becomes a loss of two to three yards. So that's what he's really been focusing on with Saquon Barkley. Be decisive. You find the hole, go to it. Don't go about, about finding the home run. because and, and running back coaches have said this time and time again. It, it, at this point, I'm sure it's become a big cliche to the fans. You know, be patient because you get the two, three-yard gains, Paul, and then all of a sudden right. the 15-yard gain right. is going to come. And that seems to be the consistent philosophy for most running back coaches. It seems to me the biggest question about Saquon Barkley, aside from the exotic protections he's going to have to be able to execute, is going to be how much do the Giants play him during the preseason? Because if he gets, I don't know, Eight carries over the four preseason games. Is he really ready to maybe have 20 to 25 touches against Jacksonville? Is he ready for that? If he only touches the ball, again, let's go touches. Let's not go carries with him. He's a weapon. He's not a running back. He's a weapon. How many touches do you want to give him in the preseason? Do you want to give him 20 over the four games? I mean, is that enough so that when the Jaguars come to MetLife Stadium, he can be one of the focal points of the offense? Or do you just say, as Sean O'Hara has suggested, you start Stewart in that first game, and maybe you wean Barkley in. Maybe the first two or three games, he only touches the ball 12 to 15 times. I don't know. I mean, I would look to... I really don't know. I'd look to try to give Barkley a little bit more than five touches per preseason game. I mean, I think you want to see a little bit more out of him. Okay. I mean, I remember Alvin Kamara getting some 
significant work last preseason. I think that's a question the Giants as a staff have to answer. How many touches does he get in the preseason? Because you all know, every one of you out there knows that if Saquon Barkley gets hurt during a preseason game, there will be those who are going to scream from the top of the Empire State Building, why was he in there getting hurt in a preseason game? Well, it's mean, going to happen. The reason why I hate those arguments is because... It's him, a foolish it's argument a because you ridiculous know he's got to prepare and he's got to get ready. Well, and the reason but why it's also a ridiculous argument... There'll be criticism. If it happens in week one, what's the difference? The only difference is because it's a regular season I'm game versus you. a preseason game. I'm with Injuries you. Injuries are going to happen. I'm with you. So Can't shy away from it. How much does he have to touch the ball to be ready for opening day, understanding that maybe your thoughts about how much he's going to play against Jacksonville is different than what the Giants think. Well, I mean, listen, only the coaching staff, I think, has a good number in their head. If it was me, though, I'm giving you my personal opinion. Like I said, I'd want to give him, probably on offense, I'd want to give him about maybe seven to eight touches. Seven to eight touches. On offense. and then Over I, the four games, that's 32, let's say. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at, and then. But here's the here's the other thing. I also want to give him opportunities in the return game on special I'm, teams. I'm not going to do that. I I, I would like I'm to see a look that. or two. I'm not. I would doing not it. be against one nope. one or two nope. opportunities. Nope, 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 nope. nope, nope, nope I, I get nope, the hesitancy. Nope. nope. But I would not be against doing that. And then if you do that, how many touches against Jacksonville? If you give him 32 touches during the preseason, does he get 20 to 25 against the Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, he's ready. Well, you're going to tell me that against Jacksonville, it's a stretch to say he could get 15 carries and five targets No, in terms of reception? I've been saying all along between 15 and 20 is is what he should get. Now, to be ready to do that, does he need 30 touches or so in the preseason to be that prepared for Jacksonville and to take on that particular assignment? Or does he need... A total of 15 touches over four games to carry that kind well, of workload. I mean, personally, I, I would always lean towards more. I, I don't see okay. how more opportunity is going to hurt a player. If anything, I think it's going to help a player. So if you were to give me the choice between give him 30 touches versus give him 15, I would certainly lean towards 30, much closer to 30, because I would want a rookie player, no matter how talented he is, to get as many opportunities in game situations mm-hmm. as possible before he sheds the dress rehearsal routine, and suits up for real. My, my gut feeling right now, gut feeling, is about 25 touches for the preseason. Okay, but totally. that's closer to 30. Which so, is closer to your number. Which is where I, I don't, would be. I have yeah. no idea. The, the Giants, the, the staff has not discussed that yet. But my gut feeling, I'd be okay with about 25. Yeah, I'm with you there. Before we wrap up, I just want to get to one or two quick tweets, and then we will close up shop for those of you who may not have been able to get to the phones. At Chris Cosmo 201, what are we going to do about the cornerback position? Can we find room to sign a free agent? Well, we touched on that a little bit earlier in the program, Chris, whereas the waiver wire claims goes based on draft order at this point, so the Giants are in a good position if they did want to claim a guy that is a veteran who's cut Mm -hmm. from another team. But I still think there's volume here, Paul, right now as it sits in camp. It, It may not be a lot of proven commodities, but I don't think the Giants are of the mindset where we're in a hurry to get another guy. They still want to evaluate what's currently in-house here. Evaluation is one thing, but having the radar on is another, and I think the radar is on. 
Oh, just like they picked up Connor Barwin. That would be an example because Dave Gettleman said he's always looking to give Pat Shermer Mm -hmm. another option or two. Mm -hmm. So I don't think necessarily that's a bad thing. At Freddie J underscore 23, moving to a 3-4 defense will benefit OV. He's going to have at least 12 sacks this year, according to Freddie. Only had one season where he had double-digit sacks, by the way. The Giants think so. So he's on board with the staff. Absolutely. And then one last comment, AJ at AJ Marshall 3. He's excited about the linebacker core on paper. A lot of depth, in his opinion. Linebacker is a strength on defense this season. Well, it got a lot stronger when Connor Barwin walked in. I agree. To the room. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, him, Alec Ogletree, B.J. Goodson. Those three guys stay healthy. You get a good mix between the middle and the outside. And then also if Lorenzo Carter emerges, yeah, you could be looking at some nice options there. Kareem Martin. Kareem Martin is you know, another player. Technically yeah. calling OV a linebacker, even though. You're not wrong for doing that. Yeah, You can. He's a stand-up defensive end to me, but uh, they're technically calling him a linebacker. So, uh, yeah, that room is is a lot better than it was uh, at the end of last season. Absolutely. All right, great stuff, great phone calls. Appreciate the interaction. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again on Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern. That is our new time during the course of training camp. So stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest with respect to the ins and outs of camp. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.